0: Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And um, some of you might still be visiting here. We've seen families who are here to see their kids. Some of sometimes it's a soldier at Fort Carson, the family. And if you're here, special um, blessing to you. Thanks for being here this past week, and I hope you had a great time with your family. We had a military um, Thanksgiving dinner here that uh, the FRG put on for one of the groups, and they had a great time Thursday. Nobody looks like they starved, so we're good going into December, today's last day of the month. As we go through this season, this is a season of a lot of memories, and so I thought, kind of as a break in between our sermon series, to talk uh, about memories, because, you know, I have a problem with, with my memory lately. I keep forgetting things. In fact, this morning I came to church, and uh, my wife was going to drive my car because um, as I told you last week, her car got destroyed in, a, in an accident. And so I I've, I've borrowed our neighbor's truck for me to drive. When I got here at church, I rec- realized that in the, my coat pocket was the key to my car, the only key to my car. So I actually had to leave the last service, run home, and pick up my wife and bring her back to church here. She knows that I'm kind of slipping here and there. But I, she, I didn't tell her this story that I'm going to tell you. <laughs> a few weeks ago, um, we have a rental house, and I needed to winterize it. So. The plan was in winter, you put a cover over the swamp cooler and you put this plate in there to keep the, the air from dropping down the ductwork. And I planned to do that. The big freeze was coming in. I wanted to get it done the day before. So I go over to this rental house and I pull up and as soon as I drive up in front of the house, it just dawns on me, I forgot the cover. So I have to drive all the way back home and uh, you know where the cover was? I'd put it right in front of the house. So when you walk out the door, there it is. It's in a box. We just bought it. But I'd put it there on Friday. So every day when I walked out, I saw that there and it just became like a piece of the surroundings. So I happened to walk out the door, didn't even recognize what was that was sitting there, got in the car, drove away. So here it is. I get back to the house, pick that up, put it in my car, and go, oh, man. Drive back over the house. So when I get to the house, I realize I forgot the plate you put in to protect the ductwork. And guess where that was? It was right next to the box in front of the door of the house, put there, so I would not forget it when I walked out the door. I said, Darren, you're such an idiot. How can you do that? I mean I not even tell my wife this story it's so embarrassing I get so I get that throw it in I drive back over the house I get to the house and then I realize I can't believe it I forgot the screwdrivers I need to take out the little screws to put so I have to drive back home a third time <laughs> Get the stuff. And I said, Lord, is there anything else I'm forgetting here? Go back over there. The project should have taken a few minutes. Took twice as long because my memory was slipping. And if you have that problem lately, as you get older, you start to to forget things. I hate when that happens. It's scary because memory is such a precious thing. In 1972, the United Negro College Fund made famous this quote, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. It truly, when you think of all the different um, faculties of your body, you know, your, your, your hands and your feet and your ability to talk and smell and, and eyesight and all that. I, I, think, I think the most profound is the, is the power of the mind. That the ability to think and reason, to make decisions, to create and, and invent, to solve problems, um, to recall memories. And I think we're in a season of life right now, or season of the year, where memories are very critical. You know, from Thanksgiving to the end of the year, there's a lot of experiences and sights and sounds and smells and traditions and things that that conjure up memories from the past. I mean, you can't help but go through this season of, of the year and you start going back to your childhood, what it was like on the street on the streets of your hometown, you know, how they decorated and the traditions that you have and the smell of hot chocolate or spiced apple cider or the, 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 the sounds of the Christmas carols and jingle bells and all that kind of stuff. It brings back a lot of memories of childhood. I remember when, when I was a little boy, one of my precious memories of Christmas Eve was going to church, and at midnight, at the close of the service, we... Um, handed out candles and had a candlelight service and sang Silent Night. And it was just this beautiful, peaceful moment before the rush of Christmas Day. You know, our, our um, families have all kinds of different memories and holidays and things that we did to remember. Well, uh, one of the guys that um, you, may, you may be too young to know about it was a guy named Bob Hope. And Bob Hope was a performer, went around and did a lot of comedy shows, went overseas, performed for our troops a number of times, uh, went to dangerous areas and performed for our troops to bring a little taste of home to our troops overseas. And, and Bob Hope, by the way, was given the first civilian honor of being called an army veteran. He's the only one that's ever received that title. And Bob Hope became famous because at, at the end of his shows, he would sing a song, Thanks for the Memories. His memories are powerful. And that's something that that I don't want us ever to forget how powerful it is that we have the ability to bring back into our minds the things that are important. And the Bible says over and over again, if you read through, um, God tells his people, remember, remember, remember. These are things that you need to remember. And remember in the Bible isn't just to recall something, go, oh yeah, that, that happened. It's to kind of relive an experience or bring it into the present. Remember is not passive, it is active, it is active. And we get to choose what we want to remember the most. We all have a, kind of a scrapbook in our mind. We all have kind of a, a photographic memory book that we put in certain things. I, I know there's, sometimes there's bad experiences and memories, but, but mostly it's filled with the good ones. And we've selected certain things over the course of our lives that we would hold on to. Well, God says to do that. And God gives a number of things that we should intentionally place in those scrapbooks of our mind to remember and bring back into our present reality. And so as we prepare to dive in and look at that today, I want to share with you five memories or five things to remember, five memories to select to encourage our faith. And so before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege we have right now to to step back a little bit, to look at the things you tell us are most important. And we pray, Father, that we would put those in our minds, and and more importantly, in our hearts, that we would think about them intentionally, that we'd feel gratefulness for them, and we would practice those rituals and habits that that, that encourage us never to forget how important these things are. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, memory number one, remember God's wonders and be amazed. Remember God's wonders and be amazed. In First Chronicles 16, 12, it says, Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. Remember what God has done. Take note of all the wonderful things he's done. When I was a little boy, we sang a song in church, and we sing it now and then in our church as well. But it goes like this. "O oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout, the universe displayed. Now, it doesn't stop there because there's got to be a response to that. I see all this. And I'm amazed, God, so we've got to do something. So then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. It's a natural response to God's wonders is, is to worship. And when you look at nature, when you look at the powerful things that God has displayed in nature, I mean, I watched the Nat Geo on TV and see the, the amazing creatures that God has put on this planet. And then you look at the, the amazing mountains, and people even this morning said, Pastor, did you see the sunrise this morning? And you get the mountains, and you'll get the aspen trees turning in the fall, and you get flowers um, sprouting in the springtime. And people capture these images on film or, or uh, digitally and then put them on Facebook, or they have them blown up and put on a a frame in their house because God's wonders are amazing, aren't they? They they cause us to want to worship. But he goes beyond just the the creation. It goes to the actual miracles God's performed, the wonders he's performed, from bringing the flood to to saving Noah, to uh, Abraham and Sarah giving birth to a child at the age of 100, to God empowering a little teenage boy named David to defeat the, the, the monster Goliath to the nation of Israel, overcoming numerous enemies through God's favor, through God parting the Red Sea so the Israelites could pass through. And then along comes Jesus, and, and Jesus heals the sick and cleanses the leper and casts demons out of people. He walks on the water. He raises the dead, raises his own body from the grave. And we're drawn to worship him because we're amazed at what God has done. God has done phenomenal things. We, we place those in the scrapbook of our minds when you think of your own life and the wonders He's done, how He saved you from where you were, I mean, you look back and you go, I used to be such a bad person. I used to be so addicted to things. I used to be so hateful or mean. And, and now who you are, you're not perfect, but you're not the person you used to be. You look at how God's answered prayers in your life. And you look at how God has, uh, has provided for you miraculously at times. God blessed you and you go, wow, that just came out of nowhere. God, thank you for that. Don't forget those things. Put those in your portfolio of faith. Put those in your memory book that you'll never forget what God has done because here's the danger. Over the the course of time, and I've watched people as they've been in church year after year after year, you start to get numb to those. You forget how precious they are and and it's easy to start to drift from God. I've known people who at one time were on fire for their faith. They had hands up in worship and today they don't even go to church. You don't even worship God anymore. How could you do that? How could you be so close to God here and drift so far? Because you forgot what God has done for you. You forgot those things. There's a movie out, just came out, called The Theory of Everything. It's about the life and marriage of the British scientist Stephen Hawking, a brilliant man who suffered over five decades from ALS, a debilitating disease. And yet his mind has remained sharp in the midst of all this. Yet Stephen Hawking has looked at creation and come to a startling conclusion. Here's what he says. The universe can create itself out of nothing and God is no longer necessary. I mean, I look at at creation and the wonders and go, there is a God, and he looks at it and says, no, there isn't a God. But it's dangerous to forget the wonders, the miracles, the blessings that he's given to us. It says in Nehemiah, as God God rebukes the people, it says, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They failed. They failed to remember. They chose not to remember the things God has done. Don't do that. You have to, you have to remember, intentionally remember. In fact, the word remember implies that you're doing something to bring it into the present, into the, in the current reality. Scientists have studied our memories and says we retain 10% of what we read, 20% of what we hear, 30% of what we see, but 90% of what we say and do. See, when you're engaged in an experience that involves participation of the body and the, and the mouth, you're saying things, it just gets embedded in you. And that's why I think it's so critical we have certain, certain times, like every week we come together for worship. It seems very routine, but it's, once again, we're... Physically, verbally, remembering what God has done. That's critical to your faith. You start missing worship week after week after week, it's easy to drift from your faith. Uh, at Christmas time, we celebrate the incarnation, which is a miracle of God becoming a human being and, and touching down on planet Earth through the, through the baby Jesus. And we remember, remember that. Even though we don't know the exact day Jesus was born. We don't know if it was December 25th. We just hijacked a pagan holiday and says, we're going to take that over, make that the day Jesus was born. And I know people get all twisted and stuff over the pagan origins and all that and the druid symbols of the Christmas tree. But the truth is, most believers I know have at the core of their Christmas celebration the remembrance that God became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. And so it's similar with Easter. Another pagan holiday we hijacked, and we remember Jesus' resurrection. Now Easter is different because we move it around every every year. It goes from March to April, and it moves all around. And probably we hit the right day once every few years. But we don't know what day it is, but we, we know the truth we want to remember, and that Jesus rose from the dead. His birth, his resurrection, two significant parts of our Christian faith. We don't want to ever forget them. And so we sing carols, and we, we talk about the birth of Christ at Christmas. We talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I know it's a tradition, but it's because we don't want to forget what's most important. Remember God's wonders and be amazed. Secondly, remember a day of rest and be renewed. In Exodus 20, God, through Moses, gives the Ten Commandments. And one of those commandments is this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath day. Again, it's not just a recollection of, oh, yeah, the Sabbath day. What is that? It's remembering by doing something. It's remembering it by honoring it. God built into the pattern of our lives a day of rest. The human body is not a machine that can continue to function um, tirelessly every day we have a we have a time of rest for some of you it's 6 hours for some of you it's 9 or 10 hours you high school kids maybe 12 hours you know it's a long period of time we got the body has to be re- rejuvenated it's got to be refreshed studies have even shown that it's it's important sometimes even to take a power snooze in the middle of the day but but not during service okay it's after church But, you know, it's it's real powerful. I find it myself rejuvenating to to crash for 15 minutes, wake up, I'm ready to go. It's like the body needs those periods of rest. Well, you need it in the weekly rhythm as well. And God built within the system of our lives a thing called the Sabbath. Now, when we were down, uh, excuse me, and let me go back to why that is. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, God tells the Israelites why this day is important. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. They had been making bricks for generations, 430 years in Egypt, making bricks. Day after day after day, they were slave laborers. Finally, they get freed from that and God says, you know what, I'm gonna show you what it's like to rest in me. On the seventh day, relax, relax, Aaron Rodgers would tell them, R-E-L-A-X, relax. Take it easy. I got to work, got to work, got to work. No, God's going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. You can relax. Cease from your labors. When my wife and I were down in Arizona last month, my friend Tom, who's into construction, says that there's a region in the East Valley of Phoenix where the Jewish community actually has created a zone in which it's, it's free for people to move around in on the Sabbath. Now, the Jewish culture, it's called the Shabbat, and there's actually fishing line that's, that's strung between power poles. I never knew this. I never even looked for it, but there's fishing lines strung between power poles to mark off a, a zone in which those of the Jewish faith can actually move around on the Sabbath freely, but they cannot go outside that zone. There's like 50 of these zones in New York City alone. There's this, they're looking at making a third one in the Phoenix area. Now, inside the zone, there's certain things that you can do, but outside of it, you can't do... Um, One of 39 different kinds of activities. Some of those include cooking. Some of you would probably say amen to that. But also shopping. Boo. Um, Watching TV. Using your cell phone. Carrying a child. Pushing a wheelchair. You cannot do those except in the area which they call the Erov. It's the safe zone. Now, even in Jesus' day, as people tried to apply the Sabbath law, they made all these other laws on top of it to try to apply the law to honor the Sabbath. I think there's some danger in that because all of a sudden you become a slave to all the other laws that you've added on to the Scripture because we know in the Scripture it says that, that um, man was not made for the Sabbath. It, this was not made for one more law to keep. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made to give man rest, help, strength, But I like what the local rabbi in Phoenix says. It leaves you no other option but to focus on family, on sharing, on education, on prayer, and reflection. I don't know exactly what to do and not do on the Sabbath. By the way, the Sabbath in the Jewish culture was from sundown Friday night until Saturday evening. And for many of us, we've made um, our Sabbath Saturday evening to Sunday. I don't know what the exact period, I don't know if, if that's as critical to God as much as you take a day of rest. I do know two things that are very critical. One is you don't do what you're doing every other day. So when you're going to work the other five or six days, don't do that on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It's a day to take a break from that. Secondly, you should, you should make this a day to be renewed and refreshed. It often involves worship. It involves prayer. It involves maybe reading, um, being with friends and family. Um, for me, my, my Sabbath period, is I, when I get home from church on Sunday, I don't go mow the lawn. I don't go work in the field. I don't go do a lot of projects. I like to go home and eat and sometimes take a nap in the fall to watch a football game. Our small group meets on Sunday night. I get to be with our friends on Monday morning, maybe go to the gym, journal uh, in my little journal, do some Bible study, just take it easy. It's a day, I need that day to get geared up because Monday afternoon we have staff meeting and it all, the whole week goes running again. So I need a break in there. And you need a break. You need to protect a period of time in your life where you do something that's very different so you can be renewed. Now, our culture doesn't honor that. In fact, we almost value people being super busy. If you you say you're busy, it's like a badge of honor. I'm busy. Just too busy. Too busy to to rest. But here's what culture does to us to make us violate the day of rest. Like um, when I was growing up, worked at at a, a department store, in order to get me to work on Sunday, they would wave this thing out in front of me saying, we'll pay you double. Two times your normal pay on Sundays. You know, it's pretty tempting. When you're, when you're given that option, break your religious commitment and we'll pay you twice as much. I think that's probably how they got people to work on Thanksgiving. So we can't get you to work because I know you're committed to your family, but we'll pay you double time. Come work on Thanksgiving. And so we make, we make sacrifices because we look at the dollar sign which is so funny because on every dollar bill is stamped, in God we trust. But the actions show, but I God, I can't trust you, so I've got to go to work to make more money to provide. I can't pass up this opportunity. But, but it's a dangerous thing. I love what Truth Cathy did when he started Chick-fil-A. He was a church-going man. In fact, he taught junior high high school until his later years of life, till he was up in his 70s. Taught junior high every Sunday at his church. And as he went to church on Sunday, he didn't want his employees from his store to work on Sundays either. So he said, we're just going to close shop on Sunday. And I think chick fil A's done pretty well doing so. God honors us when we trust him by honoring the day of rest. Remember that day. Remember your leaders and be inspired. Remember your leaders. Hebrews thirteen seven tells us that. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders. Now, I'm sensitive to church leaders because that's the culture I work within, and I've heard many times from Bill Hybels, who's a pastor of one of the largest churches in our country, and Bill Hybels worked for his father uh, as he was growing up through high school and his young adult years. His father ran a a very successful produce business, distributed produce all around the the, the grocery stores in his region, traveled to to other countries to get produce, and he flew airplanes and stuff around, and Bill Hybels said when he became a pastor, he noticed something very different. It takes a different kind of leadership to lead people in a volunteer organization compared to a corporate organization. See, when he had employees in the corporate world, he could leverage their paycheck. He could threaten to fire them, all kinds of things he could use. But when he, when he went to the church culture, he said, you know what? I can't fire a volunteer. And if I fire a volunteer, there's not a whole line of people waiting to take their position. So I don't want to lose my volunteers. I better be very nice to my volunteers. So he said it takes a whole different kind of leadership involved in a volunteer organization. And so in the church, you've got, you've got staff people, pastors, and, and leaders, but you also have elders and ministry team leaders, and all of us are working with volunteers within the church ministry. And we're trying to make people happy and trying to accommodate people's schedules and trying to keep ministry moving forward. And you know there's some challenges with that. It can be very stressful at times. In um, the New York Times, a few years ago, there was an article on the state of clergy. Clergy are pastors and church leaders. And it said that they are now suffering in great measures from obesity, hypertension, and depression at higher rates than most Americans. In the last decade, it said their use of antidepressants has risen while their life expectancy has fallen. Here's some statistics, sobering statistics. 33% feel burned out within the first five years of ministry. 23% 23% have been fired or pressured to resign at least once in their career. 25% don't know where to turn when their family's in a, per, in a crisis or they're in a personal crisis. 25% of pastors' wives say their husband's work schedule is a source of conflict. 45% of pastors say they are depressed or burned out to the extent they need a break. 50% feel unable to meet the demands of their job. Every month, 1,500 pastors either step out of the ministry, either because of burnout, conflict, or moral failure. And you know, most people in the churches don't, don't have a clue what's going on inside their homes. And yet the families know more than anybody the state of health of the church leaders. One lady wrote of her husband, After four years of waiting for my husband to find time for me and my daughter, I've had enough and I'm leaving. I own a house we live in. I earn almost six times what he earns. I pay the housekeeper and the babysitter and have never complained. All I asked for was a bit of his time, but apparently I'm not worth it. He's obsessed with everything in the church, the young girls that keep praising him and the older ladies and men that call him the man of God. I was bedridden for a week and he wasn't bothered, but he can leave at midnight to check on the sick church members. I cannot spend another day like this. So why am I sharing that with you? Not, not, not to get any kind of pity for our church staff, but to, to do what the Scripture says, remember your leaders. Not just the, the, the pastors and the directors and the leaders in our staff, but the elders, the ministry leaders. You know, Mike's the leader of our men's ministry, and Sherry is the leader of the women's ministry, and Mandy and Angela with the mops ministry, and Tonya and Lance with the, with the, the deaf ministry, and, and Cindy with the military ministry. And we've got all these kind of ministries within the church of people trying to coordinate volunteers, and it's hard. And you know, people with expectations, and it gets tiring. And there's stresses involved with it. And when it says remember your leaders, it's just not saying, oh, I I thought of them. It's to do something. Because memory is, to remember means to take action, to bring it to a present reality. So when you remember your leaders, here's one way to remember them. Pray for them. Pray for them. I'm blessed because I've got several people who say, Pastor, I pray for you and your family on a regular basis. I I would hope that every leader in our church has people praying for them. I hope that you're praying for your church leaders because we need your prayers. Uh, we don't want to fall morally. We don't want to get burnt out. We don't want to get discouraged and, and depressed. We want to keep serving the Lord and serving you. Secondly, I think when you remember them, it's, it's an opportunity to say thank you to them, to encourage them, to say, you're doing a good job. When's the last time you took time to write, maybe a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, or or a worship team member, and said, "You know, thank you for your faithful service to the church. I know you devote a lot of time, and sometimes it's it doesn't feel like you get much um, credit for it. But thank you so much for serving the Lord and our congregation. Take time to encourage someone, and then take time sometimes to come along beside them, share some of the burden. Say, you know what? I, I know this is a big burden." I'll help you. What do you need help with? I'd like to come along beside you and share some of that burden, some of the load. And our leaders would be encouraged by that as you pray for them, as you encourage them, as you work along beside them. Every pastor, every church leader that I know has a great love for God that motivates them. They just love God. They want to give God as much as they can. They want to please God with their lives. They're trying to do it with every ounce of energy they have. And at the same time, they want to love people. They want other people to share the same joy they have. And so that's where they start. But... Over the, over the course of time, it's easy to get that chipped away little by little to where you start to get discouraged. And then, then you just kind of drift away from ministry. So remember your leaders. Fourthly, remember the poor and be blessed. Galatians 2, verse 10 says it very clearly. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. Not remember that there are poor people out there, but do something to alleviate their burden. The Bible says in many, many places, we can look at dozens of scriptures where God tells us to um, do something to alleviate the, the burdens of the poor. In fact, here's two of the verses that I really like from Proverbs chapter 14. Verse 21, it is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. And then then in verse 31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. It's like Jesus when he said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done to me. God blesses us when we bless others. And I love the fact about our church. There's a lot of people in this church that have a heart for people in need. I saw it years ago, and we had a group of people that on Saturday afternoons would go down to Acacia Park, and they would prepare a big meal for the homeless in that park. And we had sometimes... 12, 15 people that would go down there and feed 80 to 100 people a nice meal on Saturday afternoon. Then they'd come back and go to our Saturday night service. We did that for several years. We also had a ministry called IHN, which stands for Interfaith Hospitality Network. And some of you might remember that about every three months, we had um, several homeless families come and live at our church they would, they would arrive Sunday afternoon, we would bring cots in this place, we would turn classrooms into bedrooms, and for a whole week they would live in our church building because they didn't have enough money to own their own place, or even to rent a place, and they would stay with us while they're saving up their money, and we would feed them, and, and we would play with their kids, and we would talk with them through that week, and then on Sunday mornings they would leave and they'd go to another church. And that was the way we ministered to the, the needy within our own community, We went down to the rescue mission for a number of years on a monthly basis and led worship services there and and fed the the men and women that came into that place. And just recently, many of you responded to the needs in in our own community. We had uh, over 190 Thanksgiving baskets put together and distributed to families within our own community because um, we wanted them to have a Thanksgiving dinner like we could have. And I thank you so much for your generosity in doing that. Many of you came through at the last minute bringing turkeys and stuff. And then um, also the same week, we brought in the shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And uh, as a as last count, I think it was 914, 15, 920, something like that. Over 900 boxes came in, which is a phenomenal response of, the, of, of you giving generously so that little boys and girls in places all around this, this world are going to get a box for Christmas. It may be the only Christmas gift they get. And Jesus says, blessed are you because you bless the ones that I love. Remember the poor and you will be blessed. And then finally, remember Jesus' sacrifice and be grateful. One reason I picked this topic is because it's so easy to take our memories for granted until we start to lose the ability to remember. Now, that's very close to me and my family because uh, we've been blessed in our family not to have any strain of heart disease or cancer, any other illness that I'm aware of, except for one. And the one thing that's, that's um, struck a number of people in my family is Alzheimer's. And I watched my, my grandmother, when I was a teenage boy, slowly start to fade away. And for about 12 years, she lived in a nursing home And every time we went to meet her, she lost a little bit more of her memory. She got to the place where she couldn't recognize who was visiting her, couldn't get out of her bed. Years later, my dad began to suffer with Alzheimer's. And my mom cared for him the last eight or nine years of his life. And we watched him forget the things of the past. He couldn't remember. He couldn't remember our faces and who we were. And, and my mother was the last one that he could no longer remember. And it was so sad watching him lose his mind. I don't think there's anything more painful than to watch someone slowly, just, just watch their mind drift little by little. And the sad thing is, in our culture today, it is, it, is, it is termed that Alzheimer's is the number one disease of the baby boomers. That one third of us will suffer from it at one point, either Alzheimer's or dementia. Dr. Benjamin Mass from the University of Louisville found that in working with Alzheimer's patients, it's critical to remind them of what God has done for them. And when a person has a, a, a history of a Christian faith, that the one thing that often is sparked as a memory is the gospel message, is the story of, of God and his love for them. I've seen actually videos of someone who's in a catatonic state, she won't respond to anything. She's in a wheelchair, and the caretaker comes beside her and starts singing an old hymn, and pretty soon that, that person awakens and starts to sing that old song that meant so much as they were growing up. It is so important that we always know, and especially if you're suffering from a memory loss, that even though you may forget God, even though your memory may lose your memory of him, he will never lose his memory of you. In fact, the Bible tells us over and over again that God never forgets us. God doesn't forget us. And God doesn't want us to forget him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is describing the Lord's Supper, he describes the giving of the elements like this. He's talking about Jesus taking the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? In remembrance of me. And then after the meal... He took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You might have seen communion tables. On the front of communion tables, it's often uh, carved in there in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember him. What does that mean, remember him? Is it just saying, oh yeah, yeah, he died on the cross? No, it's to bring, bring that into the present. Do this in remembrance of me. Relive the experience. And so every Sunday we pass these trays little piece of bread on it, little cups of juice. Not not very significant, not very glamorous, but we're doing it in remembrance of him. You know what's real special when you go on a mission trip or you're out camping and you celebrate the Lord's Supper? It means something very powerful because those emblems are bringing to the present reality the reminder that Jesus died for me. His body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. In 1969, when Neil Armstrong um, landed on the moon, took his famous first step on the moon. What, his other co-astronaut, Buzz Aldrin, was the second person to put his feet on the moon. Now, Buzz Aldrin took on that space ride a little package that had communion bread and wine. And even though it's a big deal for man to stand foot on the moon, He knew in his heart that that wasn't as significant as the fact that Jesus Christ broke his body and shed his blood for our sins. It's a big deal. That's why we remember it every single week. Sometimes people come from different church backgrounds and go, why does your church do that every week? It's just kind of a ritual. It can lose its meaning. I always tell people, you know what? It loses meaning if you lose the the focus of it. Because it's kind of like kissing your kids when you tuck them in at night or kissing your grandkids. Can you ever do it too much? Do you ever tell them, you know what, honey, I'm going to have to kiss you once a week because it'll mean more if I only give you one kiss a week. No, you do it often because every single time it has has meaning. I know people that that take the Lord's Supper every single day because it means something special to them. And that's why we we do that. We never want to forget the fact that Jesus died for us. And he says, remember this. Don't ever forget that. It's the most central part of our, our worship service. See, God is a good rememberer. It says in Exodus 2.24 that he remembers his covenant that he's made with us. In Psalm 98, it says he remembers his love and faithfulness. God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget. You know how something you might have done in order to remember something is... is A lot of people today will get a tattoo to remember something significant, like... An experience. I'm going to get that tattooed so I never forget. I'm going to have that person's name tattooed on me so I'll never forget that person or that scripture or that symbol or that value, you know, faith or love. And we get that tattooed on our bodies because we say, I never ever want to forget that. I want that always to be part of who I am. I want that part of my identity. Now, some people have tattoos and they're in hidden places. And I really don't care to see your hidden tattoos. That's a private thing. But, you know, God has a, God has a marking, it says in the book of Isaiah, in fact, I want to read, uh, read this verse, the background to this verse. In Isaiah chapter 49, it says, can a, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you, God says. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Think of that. God says, I have engraved you. I don't know if that's a foretelling of Jesus having the nails driven through his palms, but God says, I've engraved you. Not a design, not a symbol. I engraved you. I, engraved, I, I have a marking on my body to remind me always of my love for you. And the fact they're on his palms, they're always visible. It's always a, a big deal to God that he's engraved us. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you feel like you're insignificant, you feel that there's nobody that cares about you, the maker of this universe says, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. You may have forgotten me, I'll never forget you. You know what? Even though God's a good rememberer, here's something God chooses to forget. Book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isn't that beautiful? God, who's got this great remembering faculty, says, you know, I can remember everything, but there's one thing I choose not to remember, and that is your sin. I don't want to remember your sin anymore. And it's not that God can't remember it. It's He chooses not to remember it. He chooses not to bring it into a present reality. I'm not going to let it bring up negative feelings toward you. I'm not going to let it remind me of your guilt. I'm going to choose not to remember it anymore. Isn't it amazing that we can trust in a God who remembers you and yet chooses not to remember your sin. Isn't that a great God we serve? I love trusting a God like that, who remembers me but not my sin. Wow, that's so beautiful. Once in Jesus' ministry, when Jesus was on the cross, there was a man next to him. You might know the story of the thief on the cross. He lived a horrible life. I don't know if he ever went to church. I don't know if he ever served the poor. I don't know if he ever read his Bible. Yet here he is on a cross next to Jesus, and he recognizes the fact that he deserves to be there. Jesus doesn't, but he does. And he's symbolic of all of us who sinned against God and deserve to die for our sins. And yet he makes this outlandish request of Jesus. Here's what the thief on the cross says to Jesus. He says, when you enter into your kingdom, would you remember me? Remember me, Jesus. Who is he to ask this of Jesus. Who is he to Jesus? He's nobody special, nobody significant. In fact, if he could put a sign over his head, it would say, I'm guilty. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. That's me. But here's a title God would never, ever put over someone like that, forgotten. God will never put that over you, forgotten. God remembers you. but He's willing to remember your sin no more. And so Jesus tells this thief, today, you will be with me in paradise. See, God is so gracious, so good. The fact that that he loves us that much to allow us to spend forever with him. Corey ten Boom, who survived the Nazi Holocaust, said that memories are, are the key, not to the past, but to the future. Memories are not the key to the past, but to the future. Because when you remember the things that are most important, you bring them into your present. They begin to shape who you are today and where you're going in the future. For this man, on the, the thief on the cross, it changed the whole trajectory of his future. Because he remembered who Jesus was. And he called out to Jesus, remember me. I, I believe that there, there's someone here today. Maybe you've come to church feeling like God has forgotten you, that you've Sin too bad for God, that you've forgotten God too much, that you've abandoned God, and yet you're wondering, does God really even notice me? Does he care about me? And I want to tell you today, he does. God cares. He looks at his palms and says, that's how much I love you. He's carved you on the palms of his hands, and he invites you to come back to him so that he can remember your sin no more. You remember it, I know. But he says, I will move it, remove it as far as the east is from the west. And that's a long, long way. So I wanna pray for you as we close. Father, thank you for Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that he is so gracious to us. I thank you that you remember our sin no more because you died for those sins on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for the chance that we have every day, especially every Lord's day, to be reminded of the fact of your great love for us. And so, Father, welcome us back in Help us to experience the joy of being one of your children. And for, Father, for anyone in this room today who's felt for some reason they've been forgotten by you, remind them today, Father. Stir in their hearts the knowledge and the the feeling that they are truly loved by the maker of this universe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I invite you to come back next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to have a, what we call a Vision Sunday. We started this last year. It's our congregational meeting, worked into the worship service. The reason we do that is so we can share where God has led us the past year. It's been a phenomenal year. A lot of great ministries happened. a lot of changes, and where God is leading us for the future, the two things we vote on as part of that meeting. If you're a member, 16 years and older, you'll vote on the church budget, the nomination of elders. There's only one nomination for an elder. It's a returning elder. It's myself. Um, it's just... Uh, I go to elders' meetings whether I'm an elder or not. So if you, if you, if you vote for me or not, I'm gonna be showing up at those meetings. So just wanna let you know ahead of time. But if you'd like a copy of the budget, you can pick it up at the Welcome Center and look it over. Also, if you will not be here next week and you are a member of the church and would like to vote, there's absentee ballots there at the Welcome Center. You can fill it out, sign those, drop them off at the Welcome Center, and we'll make sure your vote is tallied in with the rest of them. God bless you. Have an awesome day, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.